0: I want to call your attention now to the book of Titus, chapter 3. And we read the context of this verse that we're going to take as our text today, though we will be looking at the whole section. Titus chapter 3, and we'll read verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. May God give his blessing to the reading of his word. Titus was a close associate of Paul, the apostle. Paul writes this letter to Titus. Paul had been instrumental in the conversion of Titus. According to chapter 1, verse 4, he calls Titus his own son after the common faith. Titus had matured and become a minister of the gospel. And Paul directed Titus to the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. There were several churches in various cities on that island that were in need of guidance and good order And leadership. This Paul indicates in chapter 1, verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Paul goes on to give instruction to Titus in this short letter concerning Who should be an elder? What are the qualifications of that office? He gives instruction to Titus what he should teach in these various churches on Crete. He tells Titus that there is false teaching to be exposed, and opposed. Then he goes into some detail concerning the duties that Titus is to teach to older men and older women, and then younger men and younger women. And he mentions some duties that Titus is to teach concerning those who are slaves. He tells Titus the importance of exercising careful self-watch over his own soul. And in the process of writing these things, Paul gives repeated emphasis to the fact that these various duties that each believer has in in his or her own peculiar station in life and relationship with others and so on, that these duties are all the fruit of the saving grace of God in their life and in their heart. And then he comes to tell Titus that these things must be affirmed constantly. Established with certainty. And that brings us to our text. He says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I desire, I will, I, I insist, we might say, that you affirm constantly and what is it? That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. In a way, that's, the, that's the, something of a summary of this letter. Titus, you're dealing with people who have believed in God. You must stress to them the importance of being careful to maintain good works. <clears throat> They have believed, and this is what believing produces. This is what saving faith is followed by, good works. And if it was necessary for Titus to constantly affirm these things, then surely it is necessary for us to constantly affirm them also. May God help us then to do that today. We want to affirm the same truth. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul had said to Titus that these things are to be spoken and exhortation given and even rebuke given. And so may God help us today to speak and exhort and rebuke also. There is much confusion in many minds today about these most basic matters that are spelled out here in this letter. And this letter to Titus is surely one of the most helpful portions of Holy Scripture to clear up the confusion that I'm talking about. It is confusion concerning the relationship of good works to faith. And you notice those are mentioned again here in our text that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. I tell you, there is more confusion over this simple matter than most anything else in true religion. And I want to open this today just under two headings, very simple The first is this. God is the cause of our salvation. God is the cause. Salvation is a matter of His grace. His grace. As verse 11 of chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Grace is the opposite of our own works, of merit of any kind of our own. Grace involves the goodness of God, not the goodness of man. All we have is badness, as sinners in the sight of God, all we have is demerit. We bring no merits to the table. We only bring demerits. And he describes those demerits in terms like these in chapter 3, verse 3. We ourselves were in times past foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy hateful and hating one another. Listen, that's a description of our modern world. It's a description of your heart and mine apart from the saving grace of God. We are the problem. We are not the solution. God is the solution. His grace is the solution. But we are the problem. God is the cause of our salvation. God has accomplished This salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he gave, according to chapter 2, verse 14, he gave himself for us. He laid down his life. He gave up his life as a sacrificial and substitutionary death. In order that he might Redeem us that he might secure our release from sin by the payment of a ransom to redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. This is God's way of salvation. It is through Christ who is the Redeemer, who redeems and purifies his people. Going on into chapter 3, we see that salvation is a matter of divine kindness and love and mercy. These are the terms used in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But after that, or when the kindness... And love. See, salvation is God's work. It's God's initiative. It is not an effect from a cause that we provide. Salvation is God's cause. He is the author of salvation. And it's a matter of His love, His kindness. And verse 5 uses the word mercy. All these different terms that all speak ultimately of the same salvation that we have in Christ. <clears throat> and it says he shed these, this grace and mercy and love and kindness on us abundantly. Verse 6. Richly. Profusely through Christ Jesus, our Savior. He is the justifier by His grace. Verse 7, being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He gives us, God gives us life in Christ and with Christ, and it's an everlasting life. God is the cause of our salvation. Our salvation is not a matter of our own efforts, works, self-improvement. We can take absolutely no credit for salvation ourselves. The credit all belongs to God, and rightly so. Someone has said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin, which is the occasion of it. And this salvation becomes mine personally, in my own heart and in my own experience, by faith, that is, by trusting in Christ as Savior and submitting to him as Lord. And we have that spoken of in various ways here in this letter to Titus. In the very opening words in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to what the faith of God's elect. Those whom God has chosen to save and those whom Christ the Son has died To save. God. Gives the grace. Of faith. He gives the gift of faith. We enter into this salvation. In our own experience. By believing. And that's what he says. Again in chapter 3 verse 8. That they which have believed in God. That's. Saving faith he's talking about there. Not just believing that there is a God, but I don't really know who he is and don't care to know. No, this is trust in God. And especially God the Son as Redeemer. This is how salvation becomes mine in my own experience. They which have believed in God. I want to ask you today have you come to believe in God? Do you believe in God the Son on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you seen the futility of your best efforts to do good? Have you seen the the impossibility of pleasing and infinitely holy God who deserves and demands perfection from you and me, which we cannot in any way render unto him. Have you come to see that God is the cause of salvation and not you yourself? Have you come to depend upon Christ to satisfy the demands of divine justice for the rescue of your soul. I emphasize this point today that God is the cause of man's salvation. Because there's confusion on this. As simple and clear a matter as this, you'd think everyone could understand this. No, no. Everyone doesn't understand this. There's much confusion about this. And the greatest confusion is this. People naturally think that they must improve themselves in order to gain acceptance with God. I must improve. I must do good. I must be good. In order for God to accept me. And to them, religion, Christianity, is simply a self-improvement method to make yourself a better person so that if you're good enough, You'll make it to heaven. This is the, the confusion that plagues all of us naturally. And it is common for people who sit in pews in churches to think this way. Not just Arminian churches... But Calvinistic churches, you listen to people talk and you think, have you, have you heard any of the message? Have you read any of the scripture? I've known people who sat in these pews for many, many years who I don't think ever understood this, this simple truth that God is the cause of man's salvation. And so I want to Constantly affirm it and and make as sure as I can that those of you who are here today at least understand this. Salvation is not an accomplishment that you achieve as you improve yourself and gain God's approval. And if you're honest with your own soul, and if you have been trying to do that, you know the impossibility of it. You absolutely cannot do it. You fail, and you try again, and you fail again, And again, and again, you never measure up. Your conscience tells you you're not good enough. And if you ever get to a point where you think you are good enough, it is just your own proud, self-righteous heart that has deceived you. I tell you, there's no greater deception than this. And there is no deception more Common and prevalent than this. To think that you must improve yourself and that salvation is God's reward for your being good. The truth is we are all naturally sinners and incapable of doing anything good in the sight of God. If we could improve ourselves, then we wouldn't need the grace of God. If we could improve ourselves, we wouldn't need the mercy of God. The very nature of grace is that it's free. The very nature of mercy is that it's to the undeserving, not to the deserving. If we could improve ourselves, then it would make salvation to be the effect and not the cause. It would make our works to be the cause of salvation. We would do good and, and improve and finally get to be good enough that God would say, Congratulations, you've passed. You're saved now. That is a denial of the gospel altogether, my friends. The gospel is good news that God has accomplished in Christ all that is necessary for our salvation. The gospel is good news in the face of bad news. The bad news is that we come short of the mark. We never reached. What God requires. We never can, we never shall. That's why we need Christ to accomplish all that is necessary for our salvation. Self-improvement makes the cross of Christ unnecessary. Self-improvement would make the righteousness of Christ to be superfluous, needless. And so these precious verses here scattered throughout the letter to Titus clear the confusion about cause and effect. God is the cause of our salvation. His grace is the cause of salvation, not our good works. Our good works are not the cause of our salvation. There's other confusion Let me just mention this briefly. There are some who would go so far as to say, well, I know I need Christ. I know I cannot save myself. I know I cannot do anything to gain the favor of God. But before I can come to Christ, I must at least improve myself a little. And this is sort of a variation of the above. It's it's a little closer to the truth, but it's still A great error. This is what some call preparationism. And some have actually advocated this and taught others and and wrought great confusion. It goes like this. Well, I need a little more conviction. I'm not convicted enough of my sin. I need a deeper sense of my need. I need my heart to be warmed toward Christ Before I can come to him. And as Mr. Spurgeon so beautifully set it forth in a sermon called the warrant of faith. The warrant or the ground upon which a sinner comes to Christ is that he is a sinner. If you know that you are a sinner, then you qualify. And to think that you need some further preparation, that you need deeper conviction or a a warmer heart toward him before you can come to him, that's just another form of going back to the, the mentality of good works. It's good works by another name. Don't be confused by this. These verses speak clearly to God being the cause of our salvation. We come to God through Christ just as we are, sin and all, confessing even the coldness of our heart toward him, confessing all of our sin. We come to him as we are. It's the only way to come. And, of course, there's other confusion that amounts to this. And and perhaps you have had conversations with people, and, and it, it's shocking how openly they admit this and say this. You think no one in their right, no one who's read the Bible could could think or say this. I know I need the grace of God. Yes, I know my works can't save me. I need the grace of God. But I also have to do my part. Every one of us has to do his part. God doesn't do it all. It's sort of a teamwork effort. It's a joint venture. God does his part and I do mine. Oh, how dangerous this is. And the part that most people think that they contribute is simply their decision. Or their faith. Or their prayer. And beloved, this is especially a, a deceptive confusion. Because it transforms faith into a work. Faith, which is the opposite of works, is turned into a kind of work. The faith that I generate, the faith that I contribute becomes the key that turns the lock of salvation, becomes the match that lights the fuse of God's grace. Some people think of it in terms like these. God has done 99% of what is necessary for salvation, but the 1% that remains is my faith. And if I don't contribute my faith, then all that God has done will be in vain. That, beloved, is a denial of the pure grace of God. There can be no mixture of grace and works, even if the work is what we call faith. There's a verse in the book of Romans that says it so plainly. If it is by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. What Paul is saying there is this. You have to completely redefine the terms. You have to rewrite the dictionary. If you're going to call it grace... But still require certain works from man. You simply cannot mix grace and works in any way. Salvation is all of grace, or it is not of grace at all. Salvation cannot be mostly of grace, largely of grace, or 99% of grace. It must be 100% all of grace. Any dilution corrupts the whole thing. And so, in summary thus far, all these errors make the the fatal mistake of confusing cause and effect. They make the effect to be the cause. They make good works to be the cause. And they make the, the effect, or I'm sorry, they make the cause to become the effect. They make salvation to be the response of God to our good in some way. Whereas biblically, faith is the repudiation of your own works. And there is such a bold statement here in chapter three, verse five, not by works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. God is the cause of our salvation. Another passage in Ephesians two says, not of works. Lest any man should boast, but rather it is by grace through faith. And faith occurs when I stop looking to myself and I stop looking to my works and I begin looking to Christ and looking to his works. Oh, what a joy. It is when you come to see that Christ has done it all and that nothing remains for you to do. What liberation from the bondage of self-righteousness? I emphasize this in the first place. Let us not miss this emphasis in the letter to Titus. Not of works, but all of grace. But there's a second proposition quickly that we want to consider here, and it is this. Good works are the effect of our salvation. It's all a matter of cause and effect. And we must not miss that emphasis here in this letter. It's emphasized here in our text. He says, affirm constantly, Titus, That they which have believed in God, who have renounced all of their good works as any basis of acceptance with God. That they might be careful, in fact, to maintain good works. Those who have been made right with God by the work of Christ on their behalf receive a new heart from God. A heart that desires his will and delights in his will. Which is what good works is all about. This is the truth which is after godliness. I want you to see how that he says this over and over here in this letter. Chapter 1 verse 1 once again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, And the acknowledging of, notice this interesting phrase, the truth which is after godliness, or the truth which is according to godliness. The truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation, leads to godliness, is agreeable to and conducive to holiness. Holiness or good works in chapter 2 verse 1 he says these are the things which become sound doctrine sound teaching or doctrine produces these things <coughs> the the obedience that he is about to set forth in the following verses he even says to timothy Directly in verse 7 of chapter 2. That he must show himself a pattern of good works. I haven't taken the time to actually count up how many times the phrase good works is used here in Titus. But it's quite a few. Set an example of good works that others might follow. In chapter 2 verse 12. The gospel teaches us teaches the believer in Christ to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. As redeemed people, God does not leave us in our sins. Rather, he sanctifies us, he sets us apart For holy purposes. He purifies us. That's the term he uses there in chapter 2 verse 14. He purifies unto himself a peculiar people who are what? Zealous of good works. If you're a believer in Christ, you must be prepared to every good work. Chapter 3 verse 1. And we are exhorted to be careful, diligent to do good works and maintain good works. As he says in chapter 3, verse 8, and a similar thing down in verse 14, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. And so holiness is the effect Good works are the effect of our salvation. It is vital that we get things in the right order, that we don't swap cause and effect. That's what we all naturally do. Good works are in no way the cause of salvation, but they are most certainly the effect of salvation. And so this second point also clears much confusion. Sadly, there's confusion over this. As simple a matter as this, that good works are the evidence and the fruit of and the effect of salvation, there are some people who insist that good works do not necessarily follow salvation. They say a person may be saved and yet nothing changes. Their life continues on just as lost and sinful as it was before they got saved. They continue in their sin. They've made a whole category for these kinds of people. They're called carnal Christians. They say submission to the Lordship of Christ is optional. You don't have to surrender and submit to him. You can take him as Savior and not as Lord. Or if you wish, you can take him as Savior and Lord both. It's up to you. That, my friends, is a denial of the grace of God at that level. It's a denial of the grace of God at work in the life of a believer. Subsequent to believing. The position that I've just described here allows the cause to be present. Or at least this is the theory. It allows the cause to be present without the effect ever following. And so... Provides a false freedom that is nothing but bondage to sin, ultimately. You may have even talked to people who say something like this. Good works are of no significance before salvation. And good works are of no significance after salvation. And there is this absolute lawless approach. To being a Christian. Paul will not have anything like that. He tells Timothy good works are invariably and inevitably the fruit of salvation. The people that I've just been describing who are so confused and denying the grace of God, Paul describes them in chapter 1, verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. No interest in good works at all. Those who have no interest in good works have no saving interest in Christ. There's other confusion that this this letter to Titus clears up. It's the confusion that says the Christian life comes automatically. Without any effort. Without any thought. After all, you're a new man, a new creature in Christ. And so... Just do what comes natural. You don't need any commands. You don't need any uh, imperatives of obedience. Just do what comes natural. Because you have a new nature. And they forget that we're not in heaven yet. And that there is remaining sin. And what Paul says to Titus here shows how... Foolish, that kind of, of confusion is. There are so many imperatives and indications here in this letter. I mean, there's instructions. If you will, there's law, there's requirements for aged men, aged women, young men, young women, servants, and so on. And this is just one little short letter. All of the New Testament letters are this way. The Sermon on the Mount by our Lord Himself speaks in the same way. Holiness of life, well, let me say it this way. Living the Christian life requires active self-denial. That's what chapter 2 verse 12 says. We must deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. There must be a zeal for good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, a burning eagerness to serve the Lord. What chapter 3, verse 1 calls readiness. Be ready to every good work. What chapter 3, verse 8 speaks of as being careful, careful, carefulness, diligence. We need exhortation, therefore, to these things. The Christian life is not automatic. We need to be prompted. We need to encourage one another in these things. Paul sends Titus or leaves Titus in Crete for this purpose, to speak, to exhort, yes, to rebuke. To remind others of their duties. Chapter 3, verse 1. Put them in mind, he says. We need to learn to maintain good works. Chapter 3, verse 14. And so this, this letter to Titus should clear confusion about the passive nature of the Christian life that some teach and embrace. For some, uh, they call it a higher life. Others call it a deeper life. A life where there's no struggle, no responsibility. You just leave it all to the Lord. Effortless Christianity. No race to run. No battle to fight. No concept of growing in grace. Well, that's the very message that, that Paul wants Titus to emphasize here in Crete be careful to maintain good works he says yes there is a yoke there is a cross but Christ makes it easy and light our light affliction it's our privilege and delight to serve such a good and gracious master and and so let me just come to a close here By saying this, let us not be confused about cause and effect in salvation. The cause is the grace of God. The effect is good works in those who believe in Christ. As to the cause, good works do not enter the picture. But as to the effect, good works are the picture, to, to some great extent at least. To use the very terms of Scripture, we're not saved by our works, Titus 3, 5. But we are saved unto good works, Ephesians two ten. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And I want to do my best to make sure that all who can hear my voice today are clear on this matter. You know, sometimes you hear things at a funeral service from people that you thought knew better. And it's so disappointing and grievous. And they'll say something like this you know, over this departed loved one. Well, if anybody makes it to heaven, he will because he was such a good person. And th- that shows utter ignorance of the gospel. Entering heaven isn't based upon our being good. It is based upon Christ's perfection. Being credited to our account. And yes, the confusion arises because those who are saved do live a holy life, not a sinlessly perfect life. We wish we did. But we, there has been a a definitive change and good works are the, the rule and the pattern, the habit. But we must never confuse those effects for the cause. Are you clear on this today? Do you see it clearly? Don't be confused. Are you looking away from yourself and looking to Christ for peace with God? If you are, then you must be eager and happy to walk in the will of God and walk according to the commands of God as much as you can by His grace working in you. Or to put it in this way, in another way, do good works give evidence that God has saved you, that you have believed in God, and that you are a recipient of, of saving grace.